With the winter months underway, seasonal affective disorder could be on the rise. How prepared is Columbia's Counseling Services for a potential increase in appointments? That and more. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. And, like, I noticed that I couldn't get out of bed unless the sun was rising. Like, mm. if if the sun wasn't rising, like, I was just going to stay in bed. Like, sure. there was no chance I was getting out of bed that day. That was senior musical theater major Chloe Adamo talking about the effect seasonal affective disorder has on her. Seasonal affective disorder is an annual increase of depressive symptoms that most commonly occur during the winter, but can also occur any time of the year. Our news editor, Miranda Manier, was able to speak with Joyce Martyr, a therapist at Urban Balance, on the impact of SAD. Seasonal affective disorder is something that impacts many people, especially those living in an area like Chicago where the weather tends to be very gray um, during the wintertime and we're not getting as much vitamin D from the sunlight. And so it's important for people to have their vitamin D levels checked uh, with their doctors and to take supplements like fish oil that will help with vitamin D. Miranda was also able to ask why winter could be a challenging time. With the fall, I mean, people are just getting started, and then, um, so there's some momentum there, and then during, you know, spring quarter, there's there's some excitement that you're almost done, and, the, you know, there's the light at the end of the tunnel, but in, in the thick of it, in the winter, it can feel, you know, like, gosh, you're kind of in a rut of school and, yeah. and work, and it can be exhausting. I'd like to welcome in Miranda Manier into the studio, who did all the reporting for this story. Miranda, how does uh, seasonal affective disorder, SAD, relate to college students? Well, college students who uh, struggle with seasonal affective disorder, typically around the time they come back from holiday break, so around early January to February, um, they're dealing with sort of the dip in mood after the holidays. They've been around a lot of family. There's been a lot to do. Um, and suddenly it seems like the semester is stretching on forever. They've just started and they have not a lot to look forward to. So that can make it difficult to go to class. It can make it difficult to try and finish and hand in assignments. Um, it can it can really affect a lot of things, especially in Chicago when you have to force yourself not only to just get up and go to class, but you might have to force yourself to get on the train for 45 minutes and walk through a bunch of snow and minus 12 degree weather. Like it's, there are a lot of things that can make it really difficult for students, especially Columbia students. And then to add on to that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I remember reading somewhere that we're in like a post-holiday rut. You know, there was yeah. Christmas, there was New Year's, and now it's just school. And for some students going back to school and going back to work, is that also... Um, being added on to uh, some of the impacts of seasonal affective disorder? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you in, in during the fall semester, you have so much to look forward to. You have Thanksgiving break. You have all of the holidays. You get to look forward to Christmas. Um, and then suddenly you have to come back from that, and you're thrown into going back to work and going back to classes after you had all of this excitement. And I think that can definitely affect it. And I know um, SAD can 
really impact anyone at any time of the year. But a majority of it is in the winter months when it's cold and gloomy. Yes. Did any of your sources talk about how that could translate to an increased need in appointments or increased need in time with therapists? Yeah. So I spoke to two different students, um, Maple Sullivan and Chloe Adamo. And uh, both of them said that they struggled with seasonal affective disorder at some point during their time at Columbia and did reach out to the counseling service um, department to try and get some appointments. Um, unfortunately, a counseling services does not have a lot of availability, and they both only had one or two appointments before they were referred to outside therapists. Yeah, Miranda, you kind of are touching on my next point here. You've talked to multiple sources, uh, Maple and um, Chloe. Both sources noted that the weather was impacting their mood, both sources in need of help, and both sources being frustrated with counseling services. But what has been Counseling Services' response? Who have you been able to get in contact with? So I spoke to a staff therapist at Counseling Services, uh, Karen Cloyd, and she said that um, there is very limited availability. Um, they only have five therapists on staff, and students are only able to have 12 individual sessions with a therapist per academic year, so only six per semester, um, which is really not enough. And uh, often students don't even get that many because of how limited availability is. They might only have one or two like Chloe and Maple before they're referred to another therapist. I believe you also talked to the Dean of Health and I, I forget the, the title, but who exactly was that? What was that conversation yeah, like? Yeah, I, I spoke to Beverly Anderson. Um, I got an emailed statement from her uh, basically where she said that um, her recommendation was for students to attend a group therapy session first um, because students are able to attend unlimited numbers of group therapy sessions. Um, and then they might be, depending on their individual needs, referred to a therapist at counseling services or referred to a therapist outside of Columbia's network. But you did just mention that Columbia's counseling services, you know, mentioned internal appointments, may not have that many people. Is that correct? like to give you a chance to address students' frustration with uh, the limited number of counselors? Uh, we, we are definitely trying to do the best we can with what we have. How do I put it? We're, we're just limited in what we're able to provide. Sure. Um, not that we wouldn't want to be able to. We just we have to work within the bounds of, you know, what we have. That was Karen Cloyd, a staff therapist at Columbia's Counseling Services. Miranda, this isn't the first time that students have been upset with counseling services here at Columbia. No, it's not. Um, last May, our other managing editor, Molly Walsh, wrote a story about uh, students' issues with counseling services and the way they were handling some Title IX cases. Um, I know a student was talking about a sexual assault she had, and she thought that counseling services sort of mishandled the situation. And this obviously isn't the exact situation. These are two different scenarios. But were there some parallels between the complaints then and the complaints now? Yeah, I think there certainly were. I mean, it was along the same lines of issues with availability and understanding and assistance and support with, uh, like, deadline extensions and working with faculty. And again, that story was reported last May. On, it can be found on ColumbiaChronicle.com by our managing editor, Molly Walsh. Now, Chloe did say that students have up to 12 sessions, but that does depend on therapists' availability at Columbia. And therapists at Columbia may not always be available. When students are attempting to access services, um, the sooner they can get connected, um, the more quickly we can help them be connected with the supports that are going to benefit them. 
Um, and unfortunately, when it gets later in the semester, then our like our availability is going to be limited. Um, our time is going to be limited, and I realize it's a frustrating time for students when they're like experiencing like emotional distress and crisis. The sooner you reach out, the sooner we can help people get connected into the supports that are going to help them out. Um, so I don't know, it just kind of like, the winter was really rough for me last year. It's pretty rough this year too, but I don't know. This is sophomore interdisciplinary documentary major Mabel Sullivan, who came to Columbia from a small town. Sullivan has struggled with SAD in the past, and her transition to Chicago was not easy. So, like, <clears throat> I think being forcibly cut off by the cold it is, is hard for me. It's rough, but I don't know, that's like a big thing for me. It's just like not being able to be outdoors as much as I want to be outdoors. Sullivan contacted counseling services and was able to set up some appointments, but was eventually referred to an outside therapist. Miranda, I am curious, why was Sullivan sent to an outside therapist? Uh, for once, from what Maple told me, um, she felt like uh, counseling services w did not have enough resources to help her. Um, she said that basically... Um, when we talk about resources, are we talking about individual therapists and how often they need to be there in appointments or just their ability to handle certain diagnosis? I think both is, is how she felt. It felt pretty obvious that, like, the school wasn't equipped to really handle, like, mental health problems that were semi-serious or serious. It mm -hmm. feels like... I want to go back to Chloe, who we heard in the beginning of the show. Did she have a similar story with, you know, maybe appointments or lack of resources that uh, Maple has? She did, yeah. Uh, Chloe was only able to have one appointment with counseling services before she was referred to an outside therapist. Um, and she felt very much the same way. She thought that there were not enough resources available through counseling services. And she was really disappointed by that, primarily because we're an art school and um, artists tend to struggle with mental health. So she thought that it was a shame that Columbia doesn't make room to accommodate for that. So then what's the frustration level of students at, or at least the students you spoke to? Pretty high. I, I think that the students I spoke to were both really frustrated that Columbia doesn't have more resources available for their mental health. So many goddamn more resources. I, 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 I pay how much to go to this school? My parents help me pay how much to go to this school. There are so many kids that are paying how much to go to the school, and we don't even have enough psychologists in house, counselors in house to be able to like vent to if we're in a crisis mode. Like, yeah, absolutely. What's up with that? That was Chloe, who we also heard off the top. She had weekly appointments with an outside therapist, but even though she was seeing help, her frustration did not cease. I wish they would have more counselors. I honest to God wish that they had, like, more counseling services. Um, because, like, I would 
very much preferred to not have to go to like spend $20 a week to go see an outside therapist. That's money that could be going towards food, towards rent, towards like, I don't know, seeing cats at the cat cafe and like, <laughs> like that is money that could be going elsewhere, but that is money that has to be spent on my mental health right now. Miranda, is there anything else we need to cover? I, I think really the only thing I want to add is that there are resources available for students who need them. Um, make sure that you're taking vitamin D supplements if you feel like your mood is slipping when it's colder and darker out. And um, the library does have therapy lamps available for students to rent for free. So if you think that would help, please go and get one. And students can also text the crisis hotline at 741-741. Miranda, thank you for coming in. This story can also be found in our print and online editions. Just go to ColumbiaChronicle.com or pick up a copy at one of the nearest newsstands across the campus. Moving on to our next story, Columbia has been without a Muslim Student Association for a couple years now, and I'd like to bring in Yasmin Shika, who did the reporting for this story, which you can find in our print edition. So. Yasmin, I have two questions right off of the top. You know, I've been at Columbia for a couple of years now. I can say with a decent amount of confidence that I don't think too many students, or at least my or I myself, didn't know that there was at one point a Muslim Student Association. So first off, how long has it been defunct? And what did your sources say that a Muslim Student Association means to Muslim students on campus? Well, you see, Blaze, the Muslim Student Association is associate is an association for Muslim students to kind of gather and not only for like religious practices, but also to like gather and get to know each other. And the Muslim Student Association at Columbia hasn't been active since 2014. And although there's no set in stone reason as to why, Many believe it's because there's not that many Muslims at the school, which is okay, but for a creative school, you'd like to see more of a diverse audience. So having a Muslim student association is like a big deal, especially to Muslim students to feel a little bit more accepted. And then uh, you were able to speak with the student who is bringing it back. Is that correct? Yeah. So uh, her name is Ula Yassin. She is a junior fashion studies major. And she and I have been friends for a couple of years now. And when I transferred into Columbia, she actually came up to me and said, you know, I'm looking to start a Muslim student association. Would you at all be interested in joining? And I said, well, of course I'd be interested in joining, not only to help my friend, but also because I feel like it would be a really great thing to have more of a Muslim presence on campus. And then... uh did she cite many of the reasons why? I think you may have just touched on why she decided to bring it back. But when you were talking to her, was there one reason that stuck out above the rest, or did she just see a need that had to be filled? It was more so a need that needed to be filled, because there isn't really a set place for Muslim students in this school. And although majority of the people at Columbia are very loving and accepting to all forms of people. It just makes you feel a little bit more accepted to know that there is like a designated group or a designated space for you and people like you. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about 
bringing it back, uh, we don't exactly know why it went defunct about four or five years ago. And I think the person bringing it back is a junior, is that correct? Yeah, so Ula is a junior. She's a fashion studies major. Um, a lot of her clothes that she creates, she does create clothes. Um, mm-hmm. a, lot of clothes a lot of the clothes that she creates are materials that Muslim women actually could wear. So she actually recently made a dress that I saw via Instagram. It was beautiful and modestly create like modestly, I don't know how to say it, like stitched together to the point where any woman could wear it, Muslim or non-Muslim, whether they wear the hijab or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with her being a junior, what are the odds that the program sticks around? Did she say if there was any kind of national organization kind of backing this because i think there is some sort of connection to that if, if you get what i'm trying to ask yeah well there is an there is an msa national um you don't necessarily have to go through them to be considered a group on your campus as far as i know um as far as an msa proceeding after Ula graduates, um, I guess that depends on lower classmen because in order to keep something going, even after you graduate, you have to have people who are willing to continue it. Yeah, and it's coming back, but it's not quite back yet. Is that correct? Yeah, so it's it will be at the block party on the 25th. Of January? January 25th, right? Yes, yeah, on January mean, yeah, okay. 25th. And she will be there along with another Muslim student to try to gain more members for the association. And you don't have to be Muslim to be a part of the Muslim Student Association. So then at that event, they could potentially get those lower classmen who could keep it going, so on and so forth. So then when can we see it actually come to campus beyond uh, the block party event? Are there any scheduled meeting times? Do they have any plans, programs, or events that you know of through your reporting? Well... Ula is trying to put together an event called, not called, okay. Ula is trying to put together an event for National Hijab Day in which she wants to possibly pass out hijabs to students. And do you know what day National Hijab Day is? Uh, I don't know the exact day, but it's in February. It is next month in February. It sounds like that's one of the major events MSA has planned at least so far. And they will also be at the block party. They are not yet on the Columbia College Chicago student organization website, but when they are official, they will eventually be added. Yasmin, thank you for coming on and telling us all about this. But again, you can find this story in our print edition and online at ColumbiaChronicle.com. This is Chicago. 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 Hilson. Rogers Park. Uptown. Worker Park. My favorite place in the city is Rivermore. Hyde Park. Navy Pier. Englewood. The Hemingway District in Oak Park. The Loop. Navy Pier. All the museums. 68th and Carpenter. This is Chicago. Born and raised. That audio collage is courtesy of John Nichols, the creator of Voices of the City. Voices of the City is a collection of interviews clipped together, such as the one you just heard, that are played on Pace Suburban buses. I have the founder, John Nichols, on the line. And John, I mean, I am curious, why did you decide to create this project? What was the inspiration behind it? The inspiration was, how can we promote inclusiveness? How can we promote integration and how can we destigmatize the violent reputation of the city 
and promote more travel all at the same time. Really, the question that motivated the project is assuming that racism exists, you know, what is the nature of it? Does it go both ways, so to speak? Is it a two-way street? And it doesn't have to be white-black. It could really be white um, and any other race that is considered in any way to be uh, oppressed or to be, you know, stigmatized in such a way that they're considered a minority. Really what the, the project comes down to and what the inspiration for the project is at the heart of it, which is much deeper than what the, what the project is on the surface. So what the project is on the surface is, you know, what's your favorite place in the city or the suburbs of the Chicagoland area? So then why did you decide to use pace buses as the, excuse the pun, but the vehicle in which to distribute this message? I took Pace Suburban Bus personally, used to take it to work uh, every day, and I would hear that there were advertisements on the bus, and the thought just occurred to me, what if you were to use um, this ubiquitous system of sound that they have running to promote inclusiveness in an area where we have seemingly a lack of it. Overall, there are places in the city that are great, you know. Uh, downtown is, is great. I live in Oak Park. Oak Park's pretty good. Hyde Park's fantastic. But overall, you know, just having these spots in the city of where it's thriving, that's not enough. The entire city could be doing much better. So it's trying to take those existing sound systems and repurpose them? Project focuses on ubiquitous sound systems. So... Okay. You know, sound systems that are already in place, that are around us, and thinking, how do we design, as we live in a metropolitan area, how do we design the audioscape that we live in? Because people think about architecture and they think about city planning. That's been going on for thousands of years. But what about the audio? What about what we're hearing in the metropolitan soundscape? So there's a, a lot of reasons why I focused on public transit. You said there were a lot of reasons. Was that the main driving force reason, or were there other reasons that also made it a, a logistical choice to go with public transit? We want to spread the message as far and wide as possible because it's no secret that we have a serious problem here in the Chicago area, which is called, you know, segregation, over-segregation. Chicago is one of the top segregated cities in the United States. When you talk about spreading your message, the amount of people who go to a bus stop or a pay stop is probably a decent amount to that factor in? I think that's why public transportation hubs are the place to focus, because one of the places, there's many places, but that place is a spot where people are constantly traveling around and they're interacting with the environment, and this is a way to reach those people. So. They don't need to go anywhere. They don't need to go to a concert hall. They don't need to go um, into a theater. They don't need to tune in, you know. They can just hear it when they're in transit. So then really briefly, what is at least one benefit that you can think of that will this project will bring? Say they get on the bus, they hear a welcoming message right when they get on that bus and then they realize, okay, I'm in Chicago in this place, maybe it's not so bad after all. Looking more at the recording itself, we heard one just maybe a minute ago, and I don't count particularly well or that fast, but I think I had at least a dozen voices. Uh, what is the process like trying to gather these voices? Very time-consuming. I'd say probably the most time-consuming thing is editing the recordings themselves because they are taken on the street. 
going on the street, uh, those could be 12-hour days, 13-hour days, where you're on, you know, your feet all day long outside going from suburb to suburb. Let me actually just jump in right there then. You said 12 to 13-hour days. Does that mean you're doing the recordings by yourself, gathering this, that, and the other, then cutting? Or do you have a team of people who work with you? It's a team of people, and we're always growing, so... People are listening to your program and they're interested in learning more about it and uh, volunteering or working with us. Um, we'd be happy to hear from you. Okay, so let's throw back to the recordings real quick. You're on the street. You've got the interviews. You know, skip past the 12 to 13 hours. What happens next after you've gathered all of the raw recording and, and the raw interviews? So let's say that, you know, we come out, the team comes out, and we're on Michigan Avenue. And it, it happens to be particularly windy of course, there's a lot of traffic out there. So, you know, we run into each other. I say, Blaze, we want to record you. We're doing an art project. We're trying to collect a thousand voices. And, you know, there's traffic noise in the background. Mm-hmm. Or there's wind, a wind gust that comes across uh, right when you say, you know, what your, um, this wonderful location that you just come up with that nobody knows about. Well, in those situations, I am a little bit curious does that noise pollution ruin the recording, or do you try and take that back to the studio? Or You know, taking that back into the studio and trying to figure out, this is such a great answer, you know, um, how can we use this in the audio collage? I have to do so much audio editing to try and remove that noise, if possible. John, I don't have too many more questions for you, but I am interested uh, when this program started and if we can already hear some of these clips on the Pace Suburban Buses. It started in May of 2018, and it launched officially, started playing on the bus on December 17th of 2018. So it, uh, it just started. It's under a month old. Oh, my. So it it appears that it is just getting going. John, thank you so much for speaking with me today. But unfortunately, we are out of time. And we are out of time on the episode. Thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can catch all these stories and more in the print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. I'd also like to give a special thanks to Kendall Polidori and Yasmin Shika for their help on Chronicle Headlines. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. I've been your host. Blaze Mesa. Until next time.